Welcome to Small Business Celebration, and today's episode brings us to El Segundo, California. And our guest this week is going to help us grow a strong and profitable business with a deep bench. This is Small Business Celebration. Welcome, where we're celebrating small businesses for big breakthroughs. Welcome to Small Business Celebration, and our guest this week is Sarah Musgrove, the owner of The Bench. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And for visioners who don't know who you are, who are you and what is it that you do? My name is Sarah Musgrove. I am the owner and founder of The Bench, which is a platform that connects freelancers with great companies to work for. Now, the reason we're talking with Sarah today is because she has a wonderful resource that so many business owners and business leaders are trying to find. And we're going to get into that in a minute here. But like a lot of small business owners, she started her business to solve a problem. And first of all, before I ask, the bench? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a typical name. Why, why the bench? So in marketing and advertising, typically you refer to your bench players just like you would uh, sports. And okay. so it was kind of a no-brainer. And we actually thought of the concept literally on a bench in Hermosa Beach. So it seemed like the right choice. Of course, when you become a, a multi-billionaire, Elon Musk uh, level or better, uh, you're going to buy the bench, right? Yeah, or maybe we'll put a plaque on it or something. <laughs> Describe for visioneers what the bench does. Who is your target customer and, and what can you do for them? So right now we really focus in on the marketing, communications, oh, and events okay. world. We really have tried to just solve the resourcing problem. What kind of resourcing problem are you solving? In the agency system mm -hmm. prior to the 2008-2009 recession, it used to be kind of the world of Mad Men that you would imagine where a big brand would award an agency a huge amount of business mm. over the course of several years. And so that agency would be able to resource against that business mm. with quite a bit of ease because they would know Coca-Cola is on the hook for $75 million or $50 million over the course of three years. And what we found at, right before the recession and definitely after the recession is that the entire way that brands award business had changed. Mm. So it really is a project-based environment. You might have brands that say, we are the agency of record of such and such, or agencies that say that about a brand. Right. In reality, what I've found is that most of the time that means that an agency is maybe approved by that brand, right? but the forecast, being able to forecast and being able to be awarded business in huge chunks is very, very hard to come by. Is it also true that what is also happening is, like you said, somebody will get the Coca-Cola contract, but they will actually hire a multitude of other companies to do different subsets of that. Is that something that you also help with? Yes, it is. I mean, I think that's part of the like complex shift mm. within the agency business model and right. kind of what we've seen, how the dynamic has changed. Right. I think that often, like before the big holding companies came into play, 
you went to an agency and that agency was the one agency that you worked with for right. everything. Right. And then with technology coming into the world of marketing and advertising like it has, right. it changed the dynamic because you have agencies that are highly specialized mm. in certain technologies and certain mediums and the traditional agency wasn't necessarily an expert in those right. areas. And so you really have seen the industry go through this huge dynamic shift and then once again in 2020 with COVID, it kind of all changed again, or the, at least the change was accelerated in a lot of ways. What you're saying is that you'll have one agency that'll be really good at social media. Right. Another one that's really good at print. Another one that's really good at website development. And what you do is you help that business go through and say, this is the freelance for this, or this is the freelance for that. And is, is that more along the lines of the kinds of things you do? Typically, so for the agencies specifically, so we work with agencies and we work with brands. Right. So how we support agencies is we have a vetted roster of talent right. that collectively we make up a full service marketing and advertising firm. Right. And ultimately, if your team doesn't have the bandwidth, doesn't have the expertise, you can come to us and we have already vetted this talent, we already know this talent, and the talent that's available can jump into your project rather quickly. Um, and so that is a huge pressure release from an agency resourcing standpoint. Um, I was on the agency side in a traditional sense prior to starting the bench. We're gonna talk more about experiential marketing because this is fascinating stuff. And quite frankly, it's really where the heart of marketing is going, especially if you're <clears throat> Younger than some of us. <laughs> and before we do that, if visitors want to get in touch with you, well, first of all, before we do that, does somebody have to be the size of Coca-Cola to work with you? No, not at all. We work with nonprofits. We work with startup companies. We work with some agencies that are just two to three people all the way up to some of the largest agencies within holding companies. And if visionaries want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? The best way to do that is to email me. We just joked about how I rarely <laughs> listen to my voicemail. It's a flaw of mine. Uh -huh. uh, so my email is sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at thebench.us, and our website is thebench.us. Social media? At the Bench LLC. And if you enjoy Small Business Celebration, go ahead and like, subscribe, and notify. And when we come back, we're going to talk about if you're in year three, four, five of your business and you're starting to grow to the point where your first customers can't seem to be what you're trying to grow to, how do you, how do you deal with that? Because these are the people that helped you get your business started. And we'll talk more about that when we come right back. Eagle Eye Visioneers have probably noticed that We've made a few changes to Small Business Celebration with the advent of Season 5. Yes, we've changed the logo, we've changed the intro, we've changed the way that we brand Small Business Celebration. And longtime visioners, you know how important the feedback we get from visioners just like you on our social media sites like LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram is to us. Now, one of the things that's been popping up periodically is how can I contribute financially to Small Business Celebration and help grow the program? Well, 
We've done that with the launch of our Patreon page. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash small business celebration where you get bonus content, bonus information, all kinds of things that could help you grow your business further and at the same time support small business celebration and our growth. So simply go to patreon.com forward slash small business celebration and help us celebrate small businesses for big breakthroughs. I'm here with Sarah Musgrove, the owner of The Bench, and our visionary question comes from Jonah who asks, we are in year three of our business and we're narrowing down our customer base from casting a wide net. But I hate telling customers that we can't serve them anymore and feel awful since they have been with us from the beginning. How did you live with that? We are currently still going through that, a okay. little bit of that evolution. So what I found to be the most useful for my clients mm -hmm. and how I can still support their business mm -hmm. is identifying an alternative solution. For example, I have one client, The Science of Sport, which is this incredible nonprofit that uses sport examples to teach elementary school kids about STEM and STEAM education. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of graphic design and web development needs. Mm -hmm. And we've supported them, we're continuing to support them. But for some of the things that they have needed, it just simply makes more sense for them to hire the freelancer directly. Right. And they've been using some of our freelancers now for well over a year, probably two, two and a half years. And so with the executive director of that organization, I was able to kind of partner with him to identify the best solution for his business, which mm -hmm. happened to be hiring those people directly which ended up being a great solution for us because we weren't we're, we were too big to service him right. in the way that he should be serviced. When you were talking with this customer and you're trying to build that bridge for them, did you just send them an email or send them a text message and say, hey, we can't help you anymore, uh, call this person, have a nice day? No, he actually reached out to me. Okay. We had had a really great, you know, communication leading up to this mm -hmm. and because he had used somebody on the social media side for quite a long time and I knew he was a nonprofit he's obviously trying to save as much money as he can right um, I had talked to the freelancer prior and just uh, said hey like what would you think about going directly to work for them or working directly with them and she right. was 100% on board and then when the time came where he was looking to extend her role and expand her role he called me which was great. And so we just had a conversation about it. We teased a little bit in the last segment about experiential marketing. And this is fantastic stuff. And I've been waiting to talk to somebody like Sarah about experiential marketing. For visioners who don't know what it is, tell us, explain to us, what is experiential marketing? The way I define it is any type of marketing where you have direct access to a consumer. It could be something like a branded, race, like a cycling race or running race okay. that's branded and brought to you by a brand and okay. you are experiencing that brand through that race. Okay. It could be something, an activation that maybe you see in everyday life while you're walking through the mall. So the customer or the potential customer actually gets to go up to the product, interact with the product, knowing full well it's sponsored by... Correct. And so they're finding out this is what it is, and they're able to experience the product. Yeah, and you see all different kinds of brands kind of creating their own personality around experiential marketing. We have Nike, who's one of our largest clients and a brand that I've been lucky enough to work with for a long time. And a lot of their localized marketing 
comes in the form of community marketing. Mm -hmm. So here in Los Angeles, we have the East Los Angeles store, and that store is a hub for that community. And so a lot of events and a lot of experiential marketing for Nike take place at that store. And it's a way for them to connect with the with that specific neighborhood here in, in Los Angeles. Just as a side note or side question, is that the same store that is described in Shoe Dog? I have not read all of Shoe Dog. I could probably tell you the entire Shoe Dog story. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. Yeah, I have done multiple campaigns for Nike where we've had to play off of the history. Right, sure. And currently the bench is actually supporting the Blue Ribbon Sports venue uh -huh. in Santa Monica, which was the first retail store that Phil Knight had opened. Oh. And so I'm sure Blue Ribbon Sports is mentioned in the book. Because the stories he tells about that location are just wonderful. I uh, would imagine that's probably Blue Ribbon Sports <laughs> in Santa okay. Monica. Very good. Well, if you haven't read Shoe Dog, you've got to watch it, or read it, I should say. Read it, yeah. And uh, you can find it at russosbooks.com or anywhere where you locally get books. But it's a great one. It's written by Phil Knight, and it's fantastic. But you started doing experiential marketing, you started developing, you started growing, you started having employees and started putting all this together. At first in college, I didn't even know experiential marketing was a thing, okay. to be totally honest with you. Kind of tripped and fell into it. I did, and okay. I feel super lucky that I did. Okay. Right. Um, I My work-study job in college was at the Burns Rec Center at okay. Loyola. And what I learned in creating programs around different health initiatives is that you could use events to get a message across and communicate to people. And so that's really what got me excited about producing events and using my marketing degree alongside of that. Wait, are you trying to tell me you're one of those very few people who actually uses your degree? I actually use my degree. <laughs> I do. Yeah, no. Um, and so that's what really got me excited. I think so much of it is like how I use the creative side of my brain is just building something out of nothing. And that's very exciting to me. Mm -hmm. Events, it's, and we've learned it in COVID, especially like that human connection that you have when you are at a concert or at a, you know, race with 20,000 other people that had trained for that marathon. Right. That's a feeling that it's pretty, um, you get, uh, you can't help but love that feeling of being a part of that. What did the people who hired you think about the success? The people that hired me? The, other, the other agencies that hired you to do this experiential marketing. What did they think of, what did some of them, I should say? Think, think about the bench? Think about the bench. Um, it was actually a little surprising to me. I, <laughs> the bench was kind of a, you know, cumulative outcome of my experience freelancing, my experience being in-house. Mm -hmm. And so I actually really felt that those past clients or those past employers of mine would have been some of my first clients. Right. And some of them were. Okay. And others were a little threatened by the bench. And Even though you were doing a good job for them. Yes. Okay. Well, why is that? I think that they, the messaging or how I communicated in the beginning, mm -hmm. they saw a way for me to take business away from them. Ah, the green-eyed monster. Yes. Envy. Which was never the intention. The intention was truly to serve companies like them. Right. 
And in some aspects, there have, you know, we do work with brands and brands have come to us directly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would argue that a lot of the brand business that we are working on is better su- suited for those brands to work directly with independent contractors. And so I, I feel as if, one, there's enough business to go around to everybody. Right. Um, but also, it's just a different way of working. It's not a direct competitor by any means, and the majority of our clients are still agencies. How has your business changed because of what you've learned from the Green Eye Monster? I think there's a part of me that loves to please people, mm-hmm. and I'm in a relationship-based business, so knowing that some people that I had once worked with were not thrilled about the business that I had started, that was emotionally challenging for me in the beginning. But once I realized how much emotional effort I was putting into trying to control or even thinking about something that I had no control over, and once I realized that that was really just noise and it was a distraction from my business, then I was able to clearly define where my time was best spent. We had this experiment, the bench. We were going to try to see if we could create a better working environment and industry environment for freelancers and for these agencies and brands. And as long as I was focused on that and I was trying, I was building the business and I was working to serve my clients and the independent contractors, all of that extra noise fell to the wayside and I realized it didn't matter. And it really... You're never, I'm never going to be able to control somebody's reaction. And so why exert the effort trying? <laughs> really, is what I learned. And we'll be right back. The winter season is rapidly approaching. But are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clarua Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clarua Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clarua Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at clarutire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 today. I'm here with Sarah Musgrove, the owner of The Bench, and our visioner question comes from Brandy who asks, we are shifting our business from a retail business to a B2B service-based business, and it's scary. What have you done that works? I don't know if it works yet, but I'm in the process <laughs> of the very big transition as well. Okay. Um, we, I mean, I think all small business owners can appreciate the evolutions of your company right. and how you constantly are kind of experimenting and shifting. Right. We just launched our own proprietary platform. Really? That aggregates all of our independent contractors and that we now run all of our projects through. So if visioneers want to find out about it, they just go to thebench.com? Thebench.us. .us. Yes. Okay. What is this proprietary software system that you're using? It originally was designed actually to help us run our company. Ah. And what we realized in building the software is that multiple people started asking us if there was any way that they could license the software. Ah. And so for a big organization like a Nike, for example, who runs a ton of business using independent contractors, 
our platform essentially helps them seamlessly manage their independent contractors. So oh. think about if you're at a big organization like that and you're working on one creative element, but you have 60 other people that are potentially using similar independent contractors to you. Now we're aggregating an enterprise's independent contractors into our platform. And so people across companies or across holding companies can leverage the same independent contractors. And then we're managing all the administrative kind of back office work for them. That seems like a great way to save time. It's a huge time saver. And it also, I could geek out about this for a long time, <laughs> but a lot of what I've learned is about co-employment law, the challenges of IC or independent contractors versus W-2 employees. And one of the biggest challenges that these big enterprises have is actually processing independent contractors. And so what we've been able to do is kind of build a solution around helping them still leverage independent contractors and leverage that talent. And HR department's really meant to hire a full-time employee that stays there for right. seven to 10 years, right. not necessarily a 3D renderer that has a three-week project. And you're based in California, so you're dealing with California's ABC laws yeah. and being able to go through and say, okay, this is what the independent contractor can and can't do. And if it becomes more than that, now you need to hire them as an employee. Yes, so we kind of do a hybrid of both. We have temporary employees, we have temporary uh, W-2 employees, we have full-time W-2 employees, and then we also have independent contractors. So one of the services we provide is identifying for that specific need that mm -hmm. the brand or agency or enterprise has, mm -hmm. how does that qualify within the current AB5 structure? This is totally different than you started your business. I never, ever <laughs> thought You'd be doing this. I would be doing that. And I never thought I would be following so closely a government. You know, we're, the, we're one of the only countries that has two classifications of workers. Right. You have W-2 or you have 1099. Right. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that one of my creative directors that's making well over $200,000 a year and being an independent contractor is being classified with somebody who's driving for Postmates on the side. Very different right. type of work. It's very different reasons behind why they're doing what they're doing. And thus, all the learning of HR law. Yes. <laughs> it is a complex world. And this has been a lot of stress for you. Yeah, it has. It's definitely stressful. It was even more stressful. I think the government did what was right by the independent contractor and right. lumping them into all of the recovery acts for COVID-19. Right. But it also posed a lot of challenges for small business owners because we're getting a ton of unemployment claims right now, or we have since 2020. Right. And in reality, they're not, they're not my employee. They're not my employees. They were hired to do a very specific job. How do you relieve all the stress? Um, I took up tennis. Okay. I, Why tennis? I, well, first, it started actually when I was living in Portland, Oregon. Okay. I desperately needed a way to exercise and not be in the rain. So right. I found an indoor tennis. It doesn't rain in Portland. Never. <laughs> Never. Uh, but you grabbed a racket and, and you went out and, and they have indoor tennis clubs in, in Portland? Yeah, an okay. indoor tennis facility. So I started playing there. And then when I came back to LA, um, I started playing 
just recreationally, and now I'm on the team, and it's my competitive, physical kind of outlet. I have to ask. Sure. Lucci? Oh, my nickname, yes. <laughs> okay, tell us, there's, there's gotta be a story behind this. Yes. Tell us about Lucci. My uncle started calling me Sarah Lucci when I was growing up because Susan Lucci, the soap opera star, uses her hands to talk a lot, which I have a tendency to do. And she's been working very hard not I'm to do this. Holding my hands down. <laughs> um, yes, and so now my whole family calls me Lucci and that has turned into my aunt name, so I'm no longer I'm not Aunt Sarah or Aunt anybody. I'm just Lucci. It's just a noun. It's just <laughs> who I am. Do you put the in front of it? So you're the Lucci? Jack, my nephew, will say, oh, that's my Lucci. Like, that's, that's my title. <laughs> Supposed to do something like that? Yeah. <laughs> you were talking about a lot of freelancers mm -hmm. come and work with you. And a lot of freelancers, they are independent business owners themselves. What is some of the pieces of advice that you'd like to give that sometimes they should listen to more often than they, than they don't? I think what you just articulated is a key piece of advice. Okay. If you're going to freelance, you truly are starting your own small business. Mm. And you've got to be ready to do all that that encompasses, whether that's running your QuickBooks or insurance. And there's a lot of things that roll into being an independent contractor and freelancing that oftentimes people aren't thinking about because they're only thinking about their trade, whether mm. that's being a producer or an editor or whatever the case may be. And so I do a lot of kind of one-on-one -on -one consulting with people that are thinking about leaving their full-time role to become an independent contractor. And oftentimes it really just becomes a self-awareness conversation. Mm. Are you intrinsically or extrinsically motivated? Mm. Are you gonna be successful at working very independently and not being around people all the time? Um, are you gonna be okay with that operations and administrative side? Or do you truly just wanna focus on your design work or your particular craft? Right, and to know that you're not alone. There are resources available and you, you help them guide through that, do you know? Yeah, there's tons of resources available and now that we've launched our technology and we actually have people that have just started on the team that are starting to build out more and more resources for the freelancers that not just are part of the bench, but we'll start publishing more and more and aggregating those resources. But yeah, finding a solid community of people that are freelancing and different people in, in your similar industry that can just support you through the way, like along the way, I think is really important. When you have that three o'clock in the morning, five, and it's the fifth day in a row, mm -hmm. and you've had no after no after no, and you've got, you don't have enough freelancers for a project, what motivates you to keep going? Um, my freelancers really are what motivate me every day. Being able to connect them to projects that they are passionate about and excited about, and that they're able to deliver their highest quality of work is really the most kind of inspiring part of what I do on the day-to-day -day -day basis. How does that affect you? It's so rewarding to be able to put somebody on a project that's not just a project that fits their craft, but it's something that they're really interested in. Like I have the ability, because I don't have 
everybody on payroll and this full-time staff. If somebody is really passionate about soccer, I have the ability to put them on a project where they're working with a soccer brand or working on you know, something in conjunction with something that they are really passionate about and love. And that's super rewarding, not just to be able to deliver that, but also you see it in the work and you see just, it just all comes together, it's great. What has owning your business afforded you? Flexibility. I'm able to work anywhere, mm -hmm. whenever I need to, however I need to. And that is a luxury that I definitely don't take for granted. I, my sister just had her first baby last night and I was able to be in Phoenix, Arizona with her and now I'm here in Los Angeles with you and having a standard regular nine to five wouldn't, wouldn't have afforded me that opportunity. Well, Sarah, this has been a privilege. Thank you very much for joining us here on Small Business Celebration. If visioneers want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? The easiest way is to email me, sarah at thebench.us or to visit our website, thebench.us. And I'll be right back with my final thought. The winter season is rapidly approaching, but are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clarou Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clarou Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at ClarouTire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 today. The only constant in life is change. I know, I know, I know. It's cliche. But it's cliche for a reason. Why? Because it's true. And as we've developed and grown here in Small Business Celebration, we've, we've made some changes here for season five. You'll notice we have a new logo, we've had a slightly different look, we've changed some of the graphics along the way. But as we develop and grow and change, we couldn't have done any of this without you, Visioneer Nation, because you've been with us, you've helped us develop, grow, and mature. In fact, one of my former guests and I were talking a couple weeks ago and he says, one of the requirements to be on Small Business Celebration is that you have to have been in business for at least five years, correct? And I said, well, yeah, that, that's true. And he says, congratulations, you can now be on your own show. As we go forward here into season five, you're probably gonna know some other little things that are gonna change along the way. After all, the only constant in life is change. I hope you enjoyed our conversation this week with Sarah Musgrove of The Bench, and I hope you learned something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. But also, as we go forward here in season five, we're also celebrating small businesses for big breakthroughs. And until next week, we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. 
Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you might find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. That's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. If you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. Also, if there's a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on LinkedIn and Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.